Welcome to another exciting edition of Near Mint Comic Radio, your local comic shop shrunk down, gamma radiated, and aired live every week, only on the Nonproductive Network, the only place that would have us. I'm your host, Frank, joined in studio as always by Pete. Hi, Pete. Hi, Frank. And James, our special guest. Hi, guys. On Near Mint, we rank and review comics from best to worst. That's mint, near mint, good, fair, and poor to you newbies and try to guide you what to read and what might be better to avoid. We're doing a special presentation on Near Mint. We're going to be covering all of Jonathan Hickman's triumphant return to the X-Men books in Powers of Ten and House of X. Uh, I'm very excited about this read-through. Pete, you're, you've been talking about this for a while, and I've been ignoring you for longer, mm-hmm. but finally you've pushed through, and now I have to listen. These are two big books. Yeah, basically the rest of the internet convinced you that uh, this was an important book, and now you're reading. Yeah, all right, fine. You just call me out on it. But yes, you, <laughs> you, do. my friend who reads comics with me, uh, have been talking about it. I can't even say, I honestly don't know going into this whether or not you like this read so far. I don't know if I know yet, either. Oh, good. Let's find out together. Uh, James, you're pretty much new to the X-Men books uh, and and reading in general. You're illiterate, correct? <laughs> I'm completely illiterate. I'm just looking at the pretty pictures. All right. No, I mean, I've read some of the greatest hits, um, but I've only really been like a, a hardcore Spider-Man reader as far as Marvel goes. So this is my first, like, you know, big time reading along with an X-Men comic. And what better time to do it when they're doing another kind of reboot, relaunch fun yeah, thing? Yeah, they're really trying to avoid the words reboot on this. And for good reason. It's yeah. got lots of continuity, but also none. Almost <laughs> zero yeah. continuity. Let's catch everyone up on the X-Men in case... You have been uh, not reading for the last few years, or yes. what have you. Well, the X-Men are mutants. Uh, yeah, sure, yes. <laughs> mutants are a genetic offshoot of uh, humanity, mm-hmm. uh, thought to be the next step in humanity's evolution. Homo sapiens superior, yes. yes. Uh, and their shtick for in Marvel Comics six the sixties have basically been um, humans hate and fear us, but we must protect them. And also, there's there are like uh, elements of class struggle and and I guess racism and and just the the general human aspect of fearing something that's different than you, mm-hmm. the other that's represented in the the X Men books with the mutants. Yeah, and the the X-Men generally fight for acceptance and peace between mutants and humans. They want everyone to coexist. Right, more or less. Uh, And traditionally, the the other group of mutants uh, are backed by characters like Magneto, who wants domination, mutants to rule over humanity uh, for the same reason. Listen, to be honest, we all know you know something about X-Men if you're tuning into this podcast that's pretty obvious. Maybe what you don't know is what happened immediately before Hickman's run, Hickman's, Hickman's current run on the X-Men. And that is harder to describe. Yeah. Um, most of the X-Men were, uh, were thought to be killed in a, uh, a fight between Legion and Nate Gray. Cyclops died. He returned yeah. to the dead. Uh, Jean Gray's back and forth. There was a group yeah. of mutants that were our original X-Men who were time displaced. For yeah, I was going to skip over them because they went back before the immediate. Yeah, I mean, all this stuff happens. And, and Nate Gray comes from the future in the past with the thing. Yeah, well, Nate, Nate Gray came from an alternate present. Yeah, there are so, there are so many little things going on or uh, that had been going on in the X-Men books uh, immediately preceding this run. Pete, you've read more than yeah. I have. I'm not going to 
say that none of it matters, but it's not essential. It's this. It doesn't lead yeah. directly into anything that's happening here. And I would say that's actually one of the uh, the things I find somewhat disappointing about this, yeah. because I don't. One of the one one of my few problems with it is I don't really have a good sense of when our entry point is. Yeah, I, and I, I don't know. I, I get the feeling this isn't something that's going to get resolved. Yeah, I, I feel like there's a there's an element in Marvel books in general of the um, this exists in the ever present now, right? So it's not it's for the most part you don't get like here's a series of books from Marvel that take place in the fifties, and here's a series of books that take place when these characters really came out in the sixties and the seventies. You don't really get yeah. that so much. You just sort of get like it's Marvel's always now. kind of ever present, yeah. right? They try to scrub the time off of that, and I don't know. For, so for someone who's put investment in X books before this, I could see why that could be a little yeah. disappointing. For me, who was clueless, that would have immediately been a turnoff. If you're like read fourteen books, and then you'll yeah. know where we're at. I'm. I'm also super on board with that as someone who has absolutely no background on anything you just said. Right. And I'll go ahead and agree. I think it it probably works for this story because it doesn't matter to the story that Hickman is telling here. Yeah. Where where the X-Men were right at the beginning. I think it could matter, but it doesn't to his story. Right. Uh, and I, so we are, of course, a little ahead of the books we're going to review today. We're going to review and spoil... Um, uh, House of X and maybe Powers of X, mm -hmm. uh, depending on whether we're going to do this as a two-part episode or not. This is how the sausage is made. Um, we'll get this out of the way. This, this, this whole series that we're doing is going to be spoiler-laden. Yeah, every time we talk about an we're, issue, we're going to be spoiling that issue. Yeah, there's pretty much two different lines. One that takes place in the, I guess, here and now in the X-Men universe, and one that's kind of placed elsewhere, maybe the future, more yeah. or less. Uh, it's a as, little complicated. As they're kind of giving it the tagline, it's two series that are one. Yeah, and you could definitely, like, we will have a reading order up. It's pretty straightforward to follow. So like I said, we are a little ahead of the game, so we do know certain things that will come up. And without spoiling anything that's coming up, what I do enjoy about these books so far is that they are hitting on the X-Men greatest hits. Right? So yeah. you've got elements of the days of future past. And by that, I don't mean the actual plot line necessarily. I mean the, the conceit that the X-Men in some point in the future will be hunted to almost extinction by humans in like a retro punk, disgusting, grimy 80s, 90s. A very you know? common theme for the, uh, for the future in X-Men. Yeah, literally. It's, it's a trope within the X-Men universe, and it's part of the series. Um, some characters that have major stake in this world. Um, uh, Moira is a... Yeah, Moira McTaggart is she, back. She is an element that has been kind of ever-present in a lot of X-Books, and she's here again. Um, the, the, the battle between uh, Xavier and, um, uh, and Magneto. Magneto. The conflict. It, yeah, the conflict between the, uh, the two of them. Cyclops kind of being a dick. All these little <laughs> Easter eggs are in everything. Even things that are a little bit more obscure, like, um, what was that? Uh, X-Men versus Avengers... The, uh, the Phoenix, Phoenix Five. Four, the Phoenix Five. They at least get a panel in in, in a future 
uh, comic. So there's a lot of little Easter eggs and hints of things. Some are incredibly deep cuts. Some, if you didn't even pay attention to it, like uh, I'm assuming James, you might have missed some of these. Like, you didn't even know they were callbacks to other things. And they're they're kind of non-essential. Did you, in reading the first few issues, did you feel like any of it was like, oh, wow, if only I had knew what this was? Um, I mean, like I said, I've read some of the greatest hits, so I immediately kind of laid back to Future's Past with the, the time story and the human machine people versus versus the mutants and a couple other things. I was excited to see the Fantastic Four. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, but uh, definitely there was some stuff that uh, there are probably characters in here who I'm going to be like, who's that? And uh, Right. Did you know that Nimrod was a pre-existing character? No idea. I actually, a couple of questions about Nimrod when we get there. <laughs> right. Okay. So there were things where, like, I think if you're a long-time reader, you probably appreciate them a little stronger. But if you uh, are fresh to it, I, there wasn't any parts where I was like, I don't... Like, for example, I knew Nimrod was a character. Never heard that voice given to him before. I don't know if that's, that's new. new to this book. And it didn't... Like it didn't like I didn't miss a pace. It was yeah. uh, well introduced in that case. So, so I can I can tell you I think that as a new reader, most of the things that you are confused about are confusing to veteran readers. They're as well. new, yeah. So let's talk a little bit about that first book in the uh, in the in the run. It's going to be House of X number one. The, I guess the basic premise of the book is that the. Um, I keep saying X-Men, but effectively, Xavier, as leader of mutant kind, having just survived a near genocide of his people, has decided to set up a country for mutants, which, again, feels like it's a little... Uh, we've, we've heard this before. A country for mutants, and in exchange for some incredible boons to humanity in the course of like some magical pills that will cure mm -hmm. diseases and what have you, in exchange for that... Um, humanity has to recognize that mutants are in their sovereign nation and leave them the hell alone. Um, it's kind of a separatist aspect, which mm -hmm. we don't see a lot in Xavier's Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Uh, but they're trying to, what we eventually find is that it's a little bit more than separatist. It's a little, it's, there is like this domination, right? Mutants are, are the rightful heirs to the earth, but we're not going to claim it. Because we're good guys, so we're going to give you this boon, and then we want to be separate and leave us alone. But, to be fair, we get most of that story through Magneto. Right. Who does have kind of that mentality to it. Right. Right? Which I, I think is super interesting that we open with, um, you know, I guess the, the different government types, right, are coming to meet who they think is Xavier to get kind of the tour, right, to so that they can decide whether they're going to legitimize this mutant sovereign nation. Uh, and surprise, surprise, Magneto shows up, yeah. um, you know, which obviously says like, oh, well, Magneto and Xavier are working together, or at least that's kind of what we're led to believe, you know, and then we kind of get Magneto's take on the whole thing, which, like you said, is this kind of like, we're the better people here, but we're being nice. Right. You know, which we don't know how much Xavier's on board with that idea, but... It definitely seems, and not antagonistic, but... There seems to be some conflict there, except for the fact that no one is acting as if there's any conflict within the mutant community. So, like, Xavier's usual gimmick is cohabitation with humanity, right? right. We can live together perfectly. Um, Magneto's usual gimmick is domination of humanity. Humanity is dangerous, and they need to be subjugated, or else they'll destroy us. Um, and then somewhere in between is this kind of separatist aspect, uh, and you, yeah, you get in elements that maybe Xavier has some things 
some influence on this, and Magneto clearly has some influence on this, but it's a very awkward moment, and it, and it brings up my favorite question of all to deal with with mutants in the modern age is, are they a bad analogy for racism and other schisms that hit humanity? Are they just a terrible analogy? Because you've got these people who can destroy cities just by thinking about it, right? And we try to make him play it off as if like, oh, you know, this is a wonderful, this is a, you know, this is the the conflict within humanity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Humanity can't trust things that are other. But are, is humanity wrong in this? Um, I mean, I don't want to, I feel like this is a trap. <laughs> trying to get you to right? be racist on, on there, there's you know Katie calling for genocide what was the last uh, rewatch we did you also Battlestar called for Galactica right? genocide of Cylons but then you, you were context, also man. but then you also in our last rewatch for Evangelion were all about using children as weapons so you gotta do it, gotta here's, do it. here's my moment I'm gonna say I don't think I'd act any differently if people could snap their fingers and kill uh, destroy planets I'd be like yeah maybe we should get rid of them yeah <laughs> <laughs> You got it. There's your, there's your mankind quote. should roll over and die. Yeah? <laughs> yeah, this is evolution. I, I'm actually on that side. I, there was one of the... In, wow, when our bell is broken, that's how problematic this was. Um, it's mutants. Yeah, so there was... A, there, one of the ambassadors is... I think he was the ambassador from China. I think it was basically like, you know what? We're, we're interested in hearing more about your uh, how well you're going to treat us as as our new laptop. Like, there was this yeah. idea that he's like, yeah, well, you guys are better, so go. I'm okay. I think at a certain... The way Xavier is offering this, it makes it kind of feel like, you know what, we... All we could do by trying to destroy you is enrage you and get destroyed. I think we're, we have reasons to be concerned, but you've woefully outclassed us. I don't know if we should be fighting back about this. But then Magneto has to like give it a little bit of the old Irish. At the end. He's like, by the way, we're your new gods now. I'm like, dude, not a way to end a meeting. Trust me. Not oh, a way to end a meeting. That's an excellent way to end a meeting. I, I, I really... Mean, that, that meeting is over. I, I really love those panels too, though, where he like turns to... Um, who's the girl who's reading their minds? Do we know? Oh, I, um, it's a mean one I, don't, I don't know the characters. Yeah. Oh, I didn't even know that they were characters. But uh, but um, where he's like, oh, so what did we learn? And then they're about to answer and he's like, no, I wasn't talking to you. So who are these people really? And yeah. then we find out like, you know, what all their backstories and baggage yeah. are. It was a classic Magneto kind of out... Uh, or, or I should say, I guess, X-Men as in the comics. X-Men play where like you think they're doing one thing but they're doing another... Um, I really enjoyed it, yes. So the concept of Magneto being the villain in this doesn't really hold a lot of water to me because you look at Xavier in this story and he looks like like classic villain. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's if, He does look like... Um, what was what's the... What was the builder? Was it... The, who was the evil Reed Richards? The maker. The maker. He has the same kind of... I'm walking around with a VR helmet... And it's yeah. huge. I the it's 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 interesting that it doesn't seem as if this new uh, mutant utopia is all it shakes out to be. Well, of course it isn't, because that I mean that's where the fun of the story is going to be. How about where it is? Krakoa, 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 the Living Island. Yes, that's a th that's a that's a throwback. Very is it? early, it is. So it was an. Uh, 
early 60s reference to a mutant island. I believe it was actually the 70s. Oh, it because what, I, if I remember correctly, Krakoa originally appeared in the first story with the new X-Men. Oh, it, I did not know that. Yeah, when the original, the new X-Men were when they, you oh. know, uh, when they introduced Wolverine, Colossus, the international team. Got it, okay. Um, and the, the plot of that was that the... Uh, the original X-Men had gone on a mission to Krakoa and the island had taken them prisoner. So Xavier had to recruit a uh, new team of X-Men. How do you get a living island? So it, it was it's an amazing. island that was close to a, uh, like bombings, bomb tests, I believe is the original plot. So this is very early on where, or early enough where like, eh, I don't know, mutants or something. They're radiation. Yeah. Yeah. Who, they, they, just trust me. Put out the book. Like, there wasn't. This thing looks like a Kirby monster. It's like a, it's an ecosystem that kind of globs up into a creature. Yeah. It, it's hard to uh, find a, an actual picture of Krakoa. No, I don't think early pictures are easy, but it just seems kind of ridiculous when you look at it. It just seems like a monster. I think it evolves over time and eventually into this. Uh, where this island is kind of like, as opposed to being like a giant monster that attacks and tries to keep the, and feed off the X-Men, it becomes a location uh, that has some fantastic properties, which are pretty damn neat. I've, I've actually been a fan of Krakoa for a while because it eventually became a quote-unquote student at the Xavier Center. Wow. Uh, in the run right after X-Men versus Avengers. It's actually a really interesting thing. I like how uh, Cypher has uh, developed a language with it that they can speak. That was really and cool. Can, and they're running the island like it's a machine. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a neat twist to it. The, the rosebuds or the flowers that allow um, transportation back and forth from the island magically or through portals that yeah. only mutants can use. Uh, are, is, is a neat little gimmick. Um, and the fact that the island kind of exists in and out of reality or, or on Earth, but also like independent of it in a way that allows X-Men to sort of regain some of their fantasticness that they may have lost when they were on the run being hunted by humanity mm -hmm. as they have been for so many years now. Uh, it's, a it's a neat little gimmick. And it's, it, this story so far feels like it's just another story of humans versus mutants in the new world order and how, you know, we're going to come up with a uh, uh, sort of a, an agreement between the two or, or if we're destined to conflict. But that's probably not going to last for very long. Before we move on, I do want to bring up those first two pages that we had. Right. The, with uh, the X-Men hatching out of weird pods and Xavier wandering through them with that really creepy to me my x-men yeah they're 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 definitely that i mean this first issue book ends with religious allegory right you've got the yeah. garden you've got someone pulling creation out from from the world tree it's in jerusalem it ends with uh, Magneto claiming that mutants are the new gods. If anything, this does a good job of uh, making you afraid of ex yeah. of mutants, uh, which I don't know was the intent, but it's certainly it's the deliver it's what got delivered to me. I'm very curious. There's one theory I've seen posited. I don't want, I'm not going to take credit for this one, but I think it's very plausible. I'm wondering if the X Men that we've met so far are 
the real X-Men? Mm. Or are they constructs of Krakoa? Interesting. Are they these artificial creations that we see being birthed in these first two pages? That would oh. Be, oh, that's very interesting. M- maybe it was less symbolism and more, more actual. More actual. Literal. Yeah. Yeah, more literal. Thank you. Here's uh, a yeah. question I have, because the one thing we haven't addressed in um, House of X 1, what's going on in space? Yeah, so that was fun. You see that humanity uh, faced with mutants gathering once again gathering their forces and building uh their own nation uh deciding well we got to stop this and the argument and a lot of the subtext in all these books there's a lot of uh, supplemental material written things like uh reports from various agencies uh it seems like it's a little dense and hard to read but it's actually fun it builds out some of the world in a way that i don't think you could get if you just saw exposition or characters interacting with one another just having it sort of hints and snippets of um like reports and logs kind of makes it feel more real and uh in this we do find out that there is a um a group that has gathered up of humans who've gathered up to start the long, arduous process of fighting against whatever the mutant threat's going to be. And in fact, the mutant threat is, we'll soon find out, is going to be astronomical. They're going to replace humanity very soon in what we consider like the prime timeline, right? Like, you know, it's what a few years before humanity takes, is over, overwritten yeah, by mutants. Um, and this group that is formed, which I think is called Orcus. Orcus, yes. Yes. Um, is made up, we are told, of uh, various other clandestine organizations, including S.H.I.E.L.D. and Strike, which we haven't heard from in a while, and Sword, Alpha Flight, Hammer, Armor, and also AIM. AIM. Mostly advanced ideas mechanic. Yeah. That is so fun. Basically, if there's a uh, an acronym in the Marvel Universe, they're contributing to Orcus. Yes, uh, and Hydra, which is a little bit more uh, n- uh, name uh, noteworthy. So all these organizations, some of them are traditionally world-dominating evil organizations, have joined forces in an attempt to sort of escape from or plan an escape from a mutant-controlled Earth, if that's what it ends mm-hmm. up being. So the book at once makes you a little afraid of mutants and also afraid of the people who are geared up to fight the mutants. Great. This little dossier on the Orcus Protocol is, I believe, the first place we see Mother Mold reference. Right. Part of the, the little artistic flares that I love, talk about helmets, we talk about Professor X's, but when I saw the, um, the beekeeper helmets, I'm like, oh, holy yeah. crap, this is AIM? Oh, nice. Uh, and then, yes, it turns out that it is, in fact, AIM. But later on, we see a giant floating head in space, which they're using as their base. Any ideas of what this head is? It seems like it's something they had found there. Base. You think they found it? I feel like they were building it. I feel like they found it and then they re- repurposed it. They almost suggested that they repurpose something out in space. They do talk about uh, there was a uh, it was built from built on the bones of a planet killer. Right. What um, the forges uh, are their best hope to survive the coming days. What are previous planet-killing robots oh, man, in Marvel? There's so many. For a while, I actually did think it was Galactus's head because I was very noob about this, <laughs> and I'm still not quite sure. Although the head does look like a sentinel, and I'm not even sure if that's the bones they're talking about. It could be like a mixture of different things. Yeah. There's an awesome website out there. I highly recommend. Uh, Xavier Files is doing a um, annotated review of these books. And they postulate that this is um, 
uh, from I think issue fifty nine of uh, a, like an early sixties reference to when Cyclops convinced a bunch of Sentinels to go off into space and fight the source of all mutant mutations, that thing that gives us radiation, the sun. So at some point, I've not read this issue, but at some point, Cyclops I guess convinces a bunch of Sentinels uh, to go off into space to fight the sun, and that might be one of the ones that <laughs> didn't quite make it. I love it. I love the idea. I hope that ends up being true because a callback to 1969 would be fun. Uh, yeah, it's an interesting read. It is super cool to see Hickman back on an X-Men book after a long, long hiatus. All right, let's review House of X, number one. Uh, it's the it, early in the series. I'm not sure about it, um, but I'm I'm interested enough to keep reading. I'll give it a near mint. I'm almost tempted to give it a mint. Ooh. Um, but a lot of things, like the fact that I'm not quite sure where this falls in in relation to the previous series, makes me just want to pull back a little bit, and I'll, I'll agree with you on a near mint. I thought it was good. Uh, you know, I'm, I guess I'm hypercritical, but I just, you know, there wasn't a ton for me to latch on to in House of X, right? It just, se- it, you know, there was some cool stuff, and I'm curious about where they're going, but I'm just not... I just didn't buy in 100% yet. Oh, oh, we almost had a three-way near mint, but that's okay. There's still at least 11 issues for us to get back to it. Subscribe to Near Mint on your favorite podcatcher. If you're listening to this on our website and you haven't subscribed, do so. Find whatever feed you like, press that button, subscribe, get automatically notified when a new episode comes out, and then like and follow us and do all that crazy jazz that somehow helps us pay the bills. Does anyone know how that works? I, I haven't seen any money. Uh, yeah, it's weird. Uh, go, go to Patreon. Thanks. Bye. This has been a non-productive media presentation. Executive producer, Frank Hablaoui. This program and many others like it on the Non-Productive Network is distributed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License. Please share it, but ask before trying to change it or sell it. For more information, visit non-productive.com.